Welcome to the Pandemic Pantry Podcast. Do you like cooking, reading about food, or even just eating? Then this podcast is for you. My co-host Charlotte and I work in the food industry. We'll be taking you behind the scenes, meeting the people who make it all happen, and showing you what's going on. Together, we'll bring you an inside view from the food industry with our unique perspectives from our work behind the scenes in food creation and production. Every week, along with our special guests, we'll cover different foodie topics, from baking to growing your own, home cooking, outdoor cooking, and even booze. Our aim is to take a positive look at what the nation is cooking and eating right now. There's so much adaptation, galvanization, and collaboration across the entire food system at the moment. And we'll be talking to some very special guests about the changes in their world, professional and personal, about remodeling, rethinking, and innovating with so much turned upside down and sharing some unique perspectives from field to fork. We'll also consider what food will look like in the future, in the home and outside. This podcast is sponsored by Moorish Hummus, a tasty treat for when eating in is the new going out. Moorish produces a range of delicious dips, including smoked hummus and now new velvet hummus. Moorish is available in Sainsbury's, Waitrose, Ocado and many other stores. Every week, our lucky listeners will be in with a chance to win some delicious dips in our competition at the end of each show, along with some other exciting gifts. I'm Jules Waddell, founder of Moorish Hummus. Yes, there is a link. And I'm here with my co-host, Charlotte, award-winning cookery, writer, teacher and chef. For more on us, check out lovemoorish.co.uk and charlottepike.co.uk. We'll also keep you updated on what shops are open when and for whom on our website pandemic-pantry.co.uk. So, it's time to pull up a chair at the table, sink into the sofa or relax into bed and get ready for the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Pandemic Pantry podcast. This week our highly appropriate topic is food and health. We've been speaking to Ryan Riley from the fabulous Life Kitchen, as well as dietitian Sophie Medlin about how to manage our eating during and after lockdown, and inspiring business owner Miles Hopper from Mindful Chef, the recipe box service with a difference. Finally, in case this is the first episode you've listened to, we do like to say upfront that we know the audio quality of our content isn't perfect and contains the occasional glitch. This is due to the very nature of the pandemic and the fact that we and our guests are recording from home with less than optimal audio acoustics and the occasional Wi-Fi wobble. Finally, we have loved receiving your questions again about cooking during COVID and there'll be more on that later. So on to the show. Hi Charlotte, how are you? Hi Jules, I am very well, thank you. I'm pleased to say Although I have to say this week has probably been my most difficult yet. It has not been an easy one. And I think I have certainly been feeling the extent of the crisis. And I know lots of people close to me and professionally have been too. I think the more that the scale of the crisis reveals itself, it becomes scary and more difficult and worrying for everyone really and for self-employed people like me it is a challenge I think what is clear is that 
we are in a longer crisis than perhaps we thought at the beginning. And certainly for me, you know, my work continues to be cancelled and altered further and further into the future. You know, I'm talking about sort of autumn, winter 2020 now, which is, you know, a concern. So it's been a bit of a juggle trying to find new avenues where long-standing commitments have been cancelled. And, you know, it's difficult as well if you're self-employed. Of course, it's difficult for everyone. But the thing about being self-employed and people I talk to is that when your work is cancelled, it is not just the cancellation of, of some work. It takes a long time to build your pipeline of work as well. And that's quite a blow when it goes. But, you know, we have all been affected, whatever your circumstances. All of us have experienced massive change to all of our lives. So it is difficult for everyone. But that's how things are looking for me this week. And how about you? How are things? Well, first of all, I'm sorry to hear it's been challenging. I am getting the feeling from you, which is mirrored in my own life and amongst people that I'm talking to, friends and family, that the longer it goes on, the more, I suppose you can kind of have a blitz spirit at the beginning. And then as time goes on, the more you just realize this isn't going anywhere. Nothing has changed in terms of, yes, we've had a little bit more freedom allowed in a very, very small way, but actually nothing's changed. And people are nervous about going out even, you know, to the extent that they can. And I think the longer it goes on, and as you say, the employment and financial situation, coupled with, I know you've we're saying last week about the chip tooth and the hairdresser and it does all feel like it's layering on you know more and more issues in everybody's life that are clearly not going anywhere for a while but yet we've just got to crack on with day-to-day life and do what we can and keep ourselves busy and earn money where we can and I think the nicer weather coming will help, but it is not an easy time and it's not to be underestimated. I feel very lucky to still be working, although today I'm supposed to be homeschooling mummy because my husband teaches remotely on a Friday. I'm supposed to be homeschooling and working and goodness me, even to do that for half a day is such a massive juggle. It's very, very tricky. So yeah, at the moment I am just feeling pulled in many directions and <laughs> Grateful for the work, but also thinking, I don't know how long we'll try and go on like this, working and juggling with the the children and the schooling. It's just, it's challenging, put it that way. Yeah. So the good news is we are going to be talking about something very pertinent to the pandemic. So this week's episode is all about cooking and health. So Charlotte, to take this week's theme literally and look at healthy cooking, How do you feel about that term, healthy cooking? For me, healthy cooking isn't about low fat, low sugar, low carb, high anything. For me, it's about eating good food, good ingredients in reasonable quantities, and really seeing food as both a form of nourishment and a pleasure. How does healthy cooking as a term sit with you, Charlotte? Yeah, I would really agree with that. And for me, healthy cooking, my approach is all about real food. So I will always try and have something made from fresh ingredients that I recognize wherever possible. So just having as much that I can make myself and where I can't make it as good quality and using ingredients that I would use at home counts as healthy eating i think if you have a really balanced diet lots of you know fresh fruit fresh vegetables meat fish rice whatever grains that's half the battle really isn't it so that's what it's all about for me just real natural food 
I agree. And actually, I'm a little bit older than you. And for me, as I get older, in my mid 40s now, I definitely feel it. I feel great when I eat good, nutritious food, and I don't feel good if I don't. And that's a really interesting change. When you're young, I think you can sort of get away with with not eating as well because you don't really notice any difference, but certainly I do. And that's even more motivating then, because obviously we all want to feel good and particularly at the moment. So on this week's show, we will talk to the fabulous Ryan Riley and we'll hear what his life has been like. So he is a really busy guy. He's in his mid twenties, but he's now finding himself at home all day with his dad. So we'll hear how that is for him. Then we've got our wonderful dietitian, Sophie, who's going to give us some great insight and advice on looking after ourselves with our diets in these strange times. Finally, we're really pleased to have caught up with Miles, whose business has never been busier as the demand for recipe boxes has gone through the roof. People are searching for easy ways to cook delicious, nutritious food. So over to Ryan. Let's hear what life is like for him. Ryan Riley is a cookery teacher who specialises in supporting people living with cancer. Ryan is a cookery writer, food stylist, and co-founder of Life Kitchen, a not-for-profit community interest company that raises funds to run free cooking classes and creates recipes for people living with and recovering from cancer. At just 18 years old, Ryan became his mother's carer as she was very sadly diagnosed with terminal small cell lung cancer. She died two years later. Ryan founded Life Kitchen in honour of his mother, to help people with cancer rediscover a love of food. During cancer treatment, lots of patients find that their sense of taste alters or even disappears entirely. Life Kitchen runs free cookery classes at their HQ in North East England and all over the country, popping up to run classes for people undergoing cancer treatment or in recovery. Ryan has also just published the Life Kitchen cookbook, Their classes and recipes are aimed at rekindling pleasure from food, regaining lost appetites and enjoying flavours again, so that food can support emotional and physical recovery. Life Kitchen has been a huge success and their HQ in Sunderland is the UK's first cancer cookery school. It was opened just a year ago by Nigella Lawson. Helping people reconnect with the pleasures of being alive and not just surviving is at the heart of his work. Brian Riley, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really delighted to be here. Well, thank you so much for being here, Ryan. It's great to talk to you. And we've seen so much change in life over the last few weeks. And as a cookery teacher myself, it's clearly not possible for cookery schools to operate right now. And it's a really difficult time to be undergoing major medical treatment or to be recovering as well. One of the most powerful elements of Life Kitchen is the experiences that you're able to create for people who are unwell. Could you just tell us a bit about what you've been up to and how you might be able to continue to offer support for people undergoing treatment and in recovery at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. It's been pretty horrendous because, you know, since I started Life Kitchen, it has been constant every day since I sent a faithful tweet two and a half years ago, three years ago. You know, all of it has been, I've been on a train every other day, going somewhere and teaching or, you know, writing books or TV or radio, and I haven't stopped. And then suddenly everything stopped. And suddenly I was in the house, my new house that I hadn't been in at all. I'd taken this house and I hadn't been in it. And now I'm here 
I had to furnish the whole place, like in lockdown. Thank God for IKEA and Argos deliveries. And I just sort of realized that Life Kitchen was at a standstill and it had never been at a standstill. So I've took quite a few moments of crying my heart out saying, what are we going to do? You know, I started this for other people, not for me. And we'd achieved so much that I was terrified that we'd never be able to again. Our guests are immunocompromised. So does that mean we won't open for a year, 18 months till a vaccine is found? And that's really got to me. But being me, I figured out a new plan. And actually, no one knows about this yet. So here you go. Um, There's a new website called pineappletacos.co.uk named after our most famous dish. And it's a new national survey that we're putting out in conjunction with our partners at Teenage Cancer Trust, Maggie's, all these other charities. And we're looking for an entire selection of people who are living with cancer across the UK to get involved, sign up, and that will allow us to get a database of who wants to do online classes. And from that, I'm approaching the government, the NHS and charities to fund that with us so we can provide free cookery classes in their area online, including gift cards, so they don't have to pay for the recipes themselves. Um, But I'm taking it on a national level because it's just me. This is who I am. I don't like to wait around. So yeah, that's going to launch very, very shortly. And I'm really, really thrilled about that because it feels like the right thing to do. We'll make sure we put a link on our website. That's amazing. And clearly you're not somebody who likes to be bored for too long. I just can't imagine it, honestly. (laughs) When you've spent the last two years, like I have, being out there every day, People told me, Ryan, this is a lovely time for you to relax. But I did that relaxing on day one. Now I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) You're a whirlwind, aren't you? (laughs) Ryan, I think one thing that's really interesting that's emerged with the current situation out of COVID-19 is that one of the symptoms we're hearing about, anecdotally, of course, is a lack of taste and smell. And a lack of taste and stimulating taste and appetite is something that's been really key to your work and your research. So do you have any advice and what have you learned about what can help anyone, regardless of what medical conditions they have to stimulate their appetite i do and it was quite a thing for us as soon as this came out i got a million messages being like this is what you do you must be able to help and i was like Mm -hmm. i'm not entirely sure we know what the correlation between it is but i did release a series of recipes online from the cookbook and i said to them look i've made these free they might help and there's a few reasons they might help you know if we're looking at umami you know, it's our fifth taste, the most powerful receptor in our tongue, in my opinion, because it has that deep savouriness. And when you eat lots of umami-rich foods like parmesan, soy sauce, peas, mushrooms, when you eat things like that, you can push all of your other basic tastes harder. It stimulates that receptor, it stimulates the other receptors. So that's a key to try to get flavour in, in cancer treatment, but also, I guess, in COVID-19 times. And then you've got to look at texture. You've got to look at citrus and spice and layering of flavors. And then in typical food stylist style, you've got to be able to plate it up just a little bit nicer. And actually anyone can plate things up nicely. It just takes a little bit of interest, a desire to actually, because my dad's the least creative person on the planet, but I've taught him how to put something on a plate now. And I think if you just do it like that, we eat the old saying, we eat with our eyes is so important. And if you can't connect to the food through taste, you can connect in other ways. And I think that's really, really important. 
Yeah, that's so interesting, isn't it? Because that first impression can really entice, well, be make or break as to whether someone really wants to try it or not, mm. can't it? Your book, Life Kitchen, well, actually the full title is Life Kitchen, Quick, Easy, Mouth-Watering Recipes to Revive the Joy of Eating, which actually really is so important to understand. That's actually um, the Amazon this- title. The real is title. Is it really? Yeah, the real title is Life Kitchen Recipes to Revive the Joy of Taste and Flavour. That is so interesting. You know, publishers, they often tweak it online to make it fit to what, you know, they think the public want. But the book is about reviving the joy of taste and flavour. So you only published that back in March. What are you cooking from the book at the moment? You know, it feels weird because I've been writing it for two years. And then it came out and it did phenomenally well, becoming the number four best-selling book on Amazon. Which is just extraordinary because that's amazing. But then obviously it dropped off the charts when everyone decided to buy maths books. That's what the pandemic (laughs) has done to us all. Um, I'd rather be reading and that's a cookbook. (laughs) (laughs) Same, same. And, you know, being the number four book on overall on Amazon was the maddest, craziest moment of my life. But then it also really brought home the fact that a lot of people clearly need it. And that's why it did so well. And that's harrowing in itself. You know, I thought, God, you know, people have immediately rushed to buy this book because there's an immediate need. And that kind of scared me for a minute. I was a bit like, oh, God, like, I know Life Kitchen. I know it's needed, but it's always a bit weird. But what have I been cooking? I've been cooking quite a lot for my own book, actually, which is intriguing because when I tested it with Kimberly, who is my co-founder at Life Kitchen, we did this round the country supper club called Refine the Recipe Tour. So we popped up at 10 Maggie centres across the UK, the Maggie's Cancer Centres. They're in the grounds of hospitals. They're amazing buildings. And we did these free supper clubs where we got all these cancer patients to try recipes from the book and literally refine the recipe. If they didn't like them, they could scrap them from the book. And it was really interesting. But when I finished that, I cooked them all so much that I didn't think I ever wanted to eat from my own book again. I could empathise with that. (laughs) (laughs) But then when I came into this, I realised how much of the book is quick and easy and like really simple. So I've been doing more elements of different recipes. The salt and vinegar cucumber from the Parmesan and cod recipe, I've just been putting with other things. Or the one that everyone, I nearly wake up every day on Instagram to someone having made the miso white chocolate berries. And I just think that's the best recipe I've ever written. And I can't believe it's so simple and four ingredients. Like, I don't know if that says anything about my skill as a recipe writer. It is delicious. (laughs) I have made it myself. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It's such a good one, but it's so simple. And, you know, as a recipe writer, I spend so long trying to cram flavor in there, but sometimes flavor just happens. But actually, I like cooking. I would never think of putting those together. So that's where you come in, isn't it? It's your sort of creativity and your inspiration to say, put these together and give people the confidence to maybe put unusual combinations together that you know work. Yeah. And, and I've thought of miso and white chocolate, not me. I know. And I've been going on and on and elevating that as well. So I've made some cookie bars and miso white chocolate cookie bars that we're taking to the NHS later today. And we're dropping them into oncology wards because during the pandemic, everyone on the front line who's dealing with COVID is getting a lot of attention, but there's still the cancer world that's going on behind the scenes. And I just thought that I really wanted to give them a little treat. And the miso white chocolate is, is interesting as a treat. It's not just here's a packet of crisps or, you know, a chocolate bar. I wanted to give them something that was a little bit nicer. A bit different. And actually miso is super healthy as well, isn't it? So you It know, is. 
That's... I know, honestly. Um, who knew I was about a health guru? I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> just a byproduct of making something delicious. Well, listen, I sort of know what it's like to lose your sense of taste because I had a cold a few months ago. And I remember going to the doctor about something else and happening to mention this and saying, you know, I'm a foodie. My food is my business. This is just awful. And with the sense of taste going, also then your appetite goes because you're just not that interested. And I think what you're saying about eating with your eyes first, so finding ways to make things look attractive and then adding in all the flavor, that's so interesting. We actually have a friend who's got leukemia. He's sort of my age with teenage kids. And uh, he came to our Christmas party and he wouldn't eat anything. And I'm trying not to take offense because I'm thinking, oh, I've made this lovely food. And his wife was saying, make him eat, make him eat, because, you know, you really needed to build him up and nourish him. But he just was not interested. And I wonder if that's what's happening for people with COVID. You need to eat, you need nourishment and nutrition. You, you've lost that interest in, in eating anything, just doesn't taste of anything. It's just all like cardboard. So what you're doing you know, with these flavors and ideas and the presentation, the whole package is just absolutely what people need. But I bet you never thought it would it would be needed like this. No, no. And also when we wrote it, Kim and I were, we were learning along the way. You know, I started this with a little drunken tweet. <laughs> and then, you know, now I've got a cookery school, a cookbook. And then it just came about. And over the time that it's evolved, I've learned so much myself and I've realized that looking at the principles that we've put in place, you know, these five principles like umami, textures, citrus, visuals of creating the perfect way of eating for when you're living with cancer or now COVID. I was sort of astounded at how much I I found it simple in idea, but how much the rest of the country or a lot of people didn't really eat that way. My dad's the perfect example. Like he doesn't like salt. I say to him every day, what do you want to eat? And sometimes we end up having alphabites, waffles, you know, fish fingers. And other days I'm like, dad, I've made a ban me. And he's like, no. (laughs) So you've also got to convince a lot of people that eating isn't, you know, there's still a very traditional set of eating British or old school or meat and two veg or classics in this country. So if you lose your sense of taste, trying to get them to explore new flavors is difficult. So where do you get your inspiration from? Do you just wake up in the night and think, oh, I know, miso and white chocolate? Is it literally like that? A a little bit like that. But also, when Kim and I wrote this book, we popped off to the Cotswolds. My friend has a holiday company there, and she said, look, I know you need to write this book. And I I was in the middle of moving house. I didn't have a kitchen. And I thought, you can't write a cookbook with no kitchen. So we went to the Cotswolds, and Kim and I ordered £400 worth of food every week and just created recipes. And we wrote 400 recipes in a month. And we sat down and we took out all the ones we didn't like. And then we went, took them on the Maggie's tour to refine them. And then we sent them off to recipe testers. So the first book was really born out of this massive, massive effort to create. And I think I needed that crash course in writing because I had never written a book before. And I just had to create as much opportunity to get a recipe as I could. But now I've really evolved in that. Like, I think because all of those, you know, patterns have come together in my book, I can look at recipes and create things from that. I don't think I was ever a natural recipe writer, but I was definitely a natural flavor person. I definitely understood what tasted good. And I think it was out of a grandiose self-importance. I used to think, oh, I've eaten things in a pub and think this is absolutely rubbish. I could do better than that. (laughs) And it was just born out of that. And I just kept pushing myself in flavor and, 
and ideas and sometimes I come up with really bad ideas so don't worry it's not always good and what is interesting like from people on these flavor combinations and and getting people to eat more and more well better (laughs) you know these cancer patients what's the feedback that you get I, I guess it's pretty good yeah we've had people cry we've had people we had an older man come in once and he said to me son I'm absolutely not here for you I'm here because my wife's given up cooking and she said if I don't come to this she'll leave us and I was like okay and then he was like I don't expect anything from it I'll sit in the corner and if you could just leave us out that's fine yeah he had pineapple tacos the first thing that we do in every class which is basically a pineapple and you slice it so thinly that the pineapple becomes the taco shell so it's like a round of pineapple, thin tackle shell. Then you put prawns, coriander, chili, spring onion, lime in it. And it's just the most vibrant, mouth-watering, beautiful mouthful. And for a 76-year-old man who's never probably had those flavors in his life, he cried. He wow. cried and he said, and then he stays in touch now. That was about 18 months ago. And about every three months, I get a little message from him. <laughs> just saying, just checking in, tasted this, loved this. He messaged me two weeks ago saying, can I have a signed copy of the book to give away at the Naval Club? You yes. get a varied amount of people from 76, 86-year-old men and women to 18-year-old children or like young adults. And it's a terrifying prospect because cancer isn't, doesn't care about gender, doesn't care about age, and doesn't care about socioeconomic things as well. And that's difficult because I've lived my life in the shadow of cancer and I think I continue to do so. And that's even when I'm working on other things, all people ever want to talk about is Life Kitchen. And I guess that's a wonderful thing because it helps us to keep going. But, you know, I've been constantly around cancer for such a long time. And I don't know many people who have been in such a level. From a young age. Yeah, but it's doing amazing things for so many people that who knows what you'll do in the future. But at this stage, what you're doing is incredible. And then it may be a platform to who knows what. You're very young. Anything could happen. <laughs> I don't feel very young, trust me. I feel <laughs> like a thousand. I'm drinking a Red Bull at like 11 a.m. because I can barely awake. Um, well, I'm on my fourth cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I just needed something strong. So, yeah, my, my life so far has been extraordinary in many ways. I didn't expect any of it. Even before Life Kitchen, when my mother died and I won my £28,000 at a casino... And I moved to London and I paid, took my best friend with me and Kim and I lived together. And then we owned a street food store at Camden Market. Like I, I haven't, 24, 23, I've never had a typical life. You need to um, be selling the film rights, right? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it would pay for a few things that I could really do with. It's been an extraordinary time, but being in lockdown is the, you know, the antithesis, the opposite of me. I'm not used to this. I've never, I'm never really in one place. You know, people would often joke that, are you not on a train? Because I'm just always on a train. But you're like right, I see you on Instagram, you're writing about running. Is that your new version of traveling? You know what it is? I've never run in my life. I hate exercise. But I've just basically, I was getting quite depressed in lockdown. Like my mental health was really struggling. You know, I'm, I'm burning the candle at both ends to a person. So I work really hard and then party really hard or spend my time on holidays with friends and doing all these things. And then suddenly I was, you know, in the house and I thought, what can I do? This is, you know, I was just sort of living, really living my life in my mid twenties. And I just thought I have to do something. So I was feeling so depressed that I came back into my kitchen and I just thought couch to 5k, I've heard about it. So I downloaded it at that moment and I went outside and I did it. 
and I'm on week four now. I was going to say, are you more at the coach end or are you more at the 5K end? I'm, I'm smack bang in the middle. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on my second run of week four, which well, I think well. is, is quite good because I've never done anything. No one can understand. I was having a phone call last night with the CEO of Teenage Cancer Trust while on a run. <laughs> and she was just like, what are you doing? And I was like, just running. She was like, I don't know who you are anymore. You're a new man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it'll last after lockdown, but you know. The fact that you can talk and run is sign of definite progress because that is not easy on your first run. I say run, I mean jog. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's close enough. Yeah. My hair is terrible today, but sorry. But it's hard, I think, losing the connection with teaching to a certain extent because, you know, there's some things that can be done online, but just that pleasure in knowing that you are walking into a group of people and you can really inspire them with some recipes and they're going to try some new flavors and they'll walk away hopefully had a nice experience and have learned something new it's really hard to just have that completely cut off isn't it yeah so you know just before lockdown i was on lorraine and i was on cider kitchen and i was living this really adrenalized life and i was going from that to teaching and sometimes we'd teach 20 people or 40 people in the case of when I did River Cottage. And, you know, sometimes it would be eight people. But every time I go into it and I'm like, I feel a bit nervous going into it. And then every time I come out of it thinking, wow, it was so brilliant. You never know what you're going to get in a life kitchen class. We always start with like a glass of champagne or some bubbles because it's just nice. And I just want to give people a nice experience because that's what my, my mother never had. And I think some psychologists might have something to say about that, but we'll leave that to them. And it's just all about trying to, to give people a wonderful time. And actually, I didn't realize the pleasure and the joy that could be derived from giving other people nice things or a nice time. And coming out of that has been, has been quite difficult. You know, we're, we're launching this pineapple tackles that could okay to do to do this online class, but I'm just, I'm not sure how well it's going to connect with people. I think it's still needed and wanted, but again, it's what you're saying, that real connection with humans when you're teaching them and you're cooking with them and you're able to taste their food and say, oh, it just needs a little bit of this. And then suddenly you can see those sparks lighting up in them. They're going, oh, a little bit of salt fixes that or salt reduces bitterness or, you know, all of those little things that you can just get from them that I think really makes cooking and what we do, and I guess what you do as well, just that little bit more worthwhile. So we're going online and I'm a bit scared about it. I'm sure it will be amazing and it will tick other boxes. I always find that when, when you're sort of taken on a path and things unfold for you and, and you know, you're driving them, but also these ideas are just sort of popping into your head and then you're bringing them to fruition, there will be things that you can't even imagine that come out of it that are just amazing. And it'll be really fun to do it and see what happens. And I'm sure it will connect with people just in a different way. Well, listen, I know you are super busy, even on lockdown. Ryan Riley does not sit still. What three things are you looking forward to finally? What can you tell us when this is all over? What will make you happy? Seeing my friends is the biggest thing. One of my friends, Lucy Alexander, she's a TV presenter. And her, her mother just died just before lockdown. And then she had her 50th birthday in lockdown. And I just, the caring part of me scares me because I haven't been able to comfort my friends. And losing a mother for me was so important and so big in my life that the first thing I'm going to do is go hug her and hug all my friends and just really understand the preciousness that I had before this. I can't believe it took a global pandemic for me to really appreciate everyone to, to you know, the finite detail, but I really do now. The second thing is I, I want to go on holiday. 
I just want to go see a bit of the world. I've lost a lot of my inspiration in being at home of food, new recipes, ideas. I just need to see just even one dish that I haven't seen. I need to spark that, that interest in, in flavour outside of my little bubble of flavour here. And finally, I think I just want to just appreciate the world again. I think that's, appreciate the world and restaurants. Yeah. If I never cook for myself again, it will be too soon. <laughs> Very good list. And I'm sure we could have given you more than three, but three is it. We've had such a lovely time with you, Ryan. You're so busy. Thank you so much for giving us a little bit of your time for an insight into the life of Ryan Riley in lockdown. And we'll Thank put you so much. To, uh, to Pineapple Tacos on our site as well. And good luck with it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. Bye. That was brilliant. What a fantastic guest Ryan was to have on the show. And we'll put a link to Pineapple Tacos on our website, pandemic-pantry.co.uk. Next, we speak to dietitian Sophie Medlin. Sophie Medlin is a dietitian, lecturer and researcher specialising in gastrointestinal and colorectal health. As a teenager, Sophie was encouraged by her school cooking teacher to study nutrition and dietetics because of her love of food and science. After university, she spent seven years practicing in the NHS, specializing in the nutritional management of colorectal surgery, before moving into part-time lecturing alongside her NHS work, and then into full-time academia at both Plymouth and King's College London. Sophie now runs her business, City Dietitians, where she provides evidence-based nutritional advice to individuals, companies, and the media. Sophie Medlin, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on, Sophie. It's Thank super you. interesting to hear about what a dietitian is up to in this current situation. Can you give us a bit of background about to what your life was like before and, and what it's like now? Absolutely. So prior to this all starting, I did and still hopefully will do in the future, lots of public speaking at events. So patient focused events for different companies who provide products and services to people who've had bowel surgery for lots of different reasons. I also do events like Women's Health Live and lots of public speaking and that sort of thing, which of course was all cancelled in the first 48 hours, which was really scary. I also run clinics. So I have a lovely clinic in Farringdon where I normally see my patients face to face and look after their nutritional needs for various different reasons, mainly around the colorectal conditions and surgery, but also look after people's relationship with food and help them to develop a better understanding of why they're eating or not eating and how we can improve on that. And Again, that yeah, person, which is no longer possible. Absolutely. So that would have been face to face and is all now happening via Zoom and Skype and everything else. And then I do lots of media work, as you mentioned. So all the TV stuff is shut down, but lots of radio things are still going ahead. And all my freelance writing has increased in capacity, which is good news for me. So your day-to-day life, how has it changed then? You're working from home, obviously, consulting online. Yeah, absolutely. So doing all of my clinics online, which is fine, actually. I don't love to work online. I prefer to see people face-to-face. A lot of the things I'm talking about are very sensitive and very difficult for people to open up about. And actually, I wasn't sure that the medium would work, I mean, digital medium would work as well. But it's been fine. And it's especially fine for my clients who I know well anyway, because we already have that rapport. I've been doing lots of webinars for companies on eating. I've been calling it eating in isolation. So the impact of working from home on our eating habits and our behaviours and thoughts around food, which has been really interesting and given me some really interesting insights into what's going on for people. 
Tell us about that then. I know you're doing something else or about to start doing something else really interesting and relevant to coronavirus, but tell us about eating in isolation then and and what's your take on that? You know, Charlotte and I obviously have, have discussed what we're doing differently and I've got family, Charlotte's got a partner and so our eating lives have changed. What, what are you seeing and how could you help? So we've got people are mainly in terms of the changes to their eating habits falling into three categories. And sometimes people are really interchangeable between them all. But there's lots of people eating because of stress and anxiety. Lots of people eating differently or eating more than they normally would because of boredom. And also lots of people eating just because the food is so available. It's just right there for them. So in terms of strategies to overcome those sorts of things, with the stress and anxiety, it's about trying to lower that cortisol level. So it's important to remember that your stress response is a release of cortisol, that fight or flight hormone. When we do release that hormone, it has a cascade effect for our whole body. And it makes you want to go and get food to drive to fuel that fight or flight response. So your body is saying, in a minute, we're going to have to run away or fight something. Give me some fuel, give me some energy for that. Do you think there's more of that going on at the moment? Obviously, everybody has fluctuating cortisol levels and stress levels in our normal, normal lives. Are you seeing more? Would you expect people to be more stressed? I guess it's the uncertainty, isn't it? Totally. I think my experience and what people have been telling me is that they're they're feeling much more stressed than normal. And it might be that your day to day, some of your day to day stresses have gone, the commute has gone, some of the other things have disappeared from your life. But all of our sort of general global anxiety is really high. And that can then mean that actually any little thing can really tip you over the edge in terms of your stress and anxiety levels. So just trying to overcome a new task and that kind of thing, trying to troubleshoot how you're going to manage something digitally suddenly becomes more stressful and more anxiety inducing. So it's about that sort of overflowing cup effect where actually we're all just quite full at the moment in terms of our stress and anxiety. We're all out of routine. Everything's really different for most people. There's lots of money worries around in health worries and all this kind of stuff. What do we do to avoid this stress eating situation? So the worst thing you can do is kind of fuel that stress response. So ultimately, when we look for particularly high energy food, so lots of sugar and things like that, we're really fueling that stress response. So what we need to do is try and find activities that help us to lower that cortisol level. So it might be, and actually this is a really great time to experiment with lots of different things that you can do and that work for you to lower your stress levels. So for some people, it might be that finding a like five minute guided meditation works really well for them, that they can just do it at their desk and just lower that level, lower that cortisol level. They can do it first thing in the morning, whenever they feel that sort of drive to go and start eating lots of foods that perhaps they don't normally eat or foods that they know aren't really going to serve them. Other things that work really well now that won't work necessarily so well in the future are just doing some stretching exercises in your room, by your desk, wherever you are working or wherever you need to be. We can also do things like listen to a few tracks of our favourite music, really lights up that reward centre in our brain, really makes us feel good and releases those happy hormones that help to lower that cortisol response. So it's really about taking this time to tune into what your body really wants and what your body's really looking for in that moment. And if it's that you're eating because of stress, then finding those little activities that you can build into your day really, really help to lower that cortisol level and get you back in the zone where you will be feeling better and more in control of your eating behaviours. Sounds lovely. In terms of the other two changes in the way people are eating, have you got any tips around those two things? 
So with the boredom, I think it's about structure. It's about planning out your day a little bit and thinking about what you're going to do, making sure you're doing lots of activities that light up that reward center in your brain again. So remember that we've all had lots of things taken away from us that normally make us really happy, that normally stimulate our brain and keep us interested and keep us happy. Lots of us have had lots of those things taken away. So we need to find different things and different chunks of activity through the day that can keep us entertained and keep us happy and keep our brain happy and help us to look after our mental health in that way. For some people, doing a bit of clock watching with the eating because of boredom can really help. So it might be that you need to treat yourself like a child, really, and say, oh, I'm not allowed a snack now because it's 10.30, but I am going to have one at 11 and this is what I'm going to have and I'm going to really look forward to it. So it's just about sort of telling yourself and coaching yourself through those moments of boredom. My husband keeps saying, we're not, we're not having lunch already, are we? As I've, I've noticed the clock has struck 12, I'm like, right, lunchtime. It's something to do. <laughs> it's, you know, it brings us all back together again. And then at 5 p.m., I'm like, right, it's tea time. It, it is sort of all feeling slightly on a different timetable. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. The last one is about eating because the food is there. And my top tip for that at the moment is to think we have this really unique opportunity to manage almost our entire eating environment. So typically when we're going out to work, we're doing different things. We don't have much choice about what food is available to us. But at the moment, we've got the opportunity to kind of make our houses like a corner shop and full of crisps and chocolate and snacks and things that perhaps would be less, serve us less well in terms of our health. Or we can make it a bit more like a whole foods or a health food shop where there's lots of lovely things available, lots of things that can really improve our health and help us to think about our long term and short term goals in terms of looking after ourselves. So manage your food environment is the key. If you're working from home, get yourself a flask of coffee, get yourself a flask of tea and some healthy snacks at your desk like you would normally. Jugs of water, things that keep you out of the kitchen as much as possible. But the top thing there is just to manage your eating environment. If you are a stressed tired anxious bored human and there is delicious snacks in the house it's going to be very difficult to resist them and that's just a normal human physiological reaction but actually it's really interesting what you say it's about finding opportunities to experiment and to actually think about these things in a way that we would never normally do we just go out and we do our life and we come home and we go to bed this is a unique opportunity to actually see what works and what we like and find new things and find new ways that's really interesting and then we'll come on to uh, something else that is particularly happening for you at this moment in the COVID-19 situation I think there's another strand coming online for you in terms of work that will be face-to-face so can you tell us a bit about what you're going to be doing yeah so dietitians are like the medical nutrition people so We work primarily in hospitals normally, so in the NHS, and we're the only nutritional professionals who are allowed to do that. So we're the only ones that are licensed to do that. So for a large part of my NHS career, I was working in intensive care and patients who are ventilated and sedated can't eat anything at all. So we would tube feed them with tubes that go up their nose and into their tummy, maybe a little bit further down into their intestine sometimes, or we would feed them intravenously. And dietitians prescribe that feed figure out all of the problems that we might have with that feed. So lots of our COVID-19 patients are being fed on their tummies and that can mean that digestion is interrupted and things like that. We might have to move to intravenous feeding and all sorts of things. So over the next couple of weeks or hopefully over the next few days, I'm going to go and be working in the Nightingale to support those patients with their nutritional needs during the crisis. Which I have to say, I think is incredibly heroic and amazing and wish you well with it. I didn't know that that was part of a role to do that sort of work 
for patients in seriously ill situation at all. And certainly at the moment, I'm guessing there'll be a lot of additional demand for that. So that's brilliant that you can roll up your sleeves and, and step in and help. Charlotte, yes. what are you finding with eating in isolation? Obviously, there's two of you at home. How are things for you at the moment? Well, it's really interesting. I mean, we're managing okay. I was really interested by what you were both saying about the structure of the day because, you know, the meals are such a focal point. And it's quite a big change to be cooking, you know, three set meals a day and getting into that routine. It's interesting what you were saying about your husband, Julie. I find at 11.45, I get the request, what's for lunch today? <laughs> Gosh, I haven't really got around to thinking about that yet. <laughs> yeah. But one thing I have really noticed, Sophie, I know that you're interested in gut health health and I've written a book about fermentation of fermented food and drinks it's an area of interest to me as well and I think a lot more people are getting interested in thinking about that right now because of course there's such a link between your gut health and your mental health and your general well-being are you noticing that as well? I think there's been a real trend towards people being interested in their gut health in a way that there never has been before I mean Mm. I would never have grown an Instagram profile talking about poo and gut health five years ago let's say Mm. people just weren't interested yeah people are much more engaged with that kind of stuff which Mm. is excellent Mm. your gut has such an impact on your overall health not just your mental health but your overall health and your risk of disease and all this kind of stuff and whilst sort of fiber has been on the agenda for a while for most people it's kind of coming back into its own Mm. having dropped off the radar a little bit with the low carb movement but you know fiber is so important we know that but also these probiotics and the things that we can do can have an impact on our risk of disease and our risk of infection and all these kinds of things so yes people are interested in their gut health I've been doing some work with the girls who run the gut stuff yes you know about them yes um, they have a good Instagram feed to follow exactly they are excellent in their gut health stuff so I've been working with them doing some Q&As and things like that on their Instagram to try and uh, answer all those questions and I would say there is a huge interest at the moment in gut health and also lots of people who have existing bowel conditions or existing kind of irritable bowel syndrome type things. So mm. maybe a bit of extra diarrhea or bloating or even constipation with the kind of environment we're in at the moment. Lots of people are suffering with more of those symptoms. That's something I'm hearing really commonly at the moment in particular. That's really interesting. So, I mean, I think that just the sort of general stress of this situation is so difficult, isn't it? Because even if you feel safe at home and your family are okay and you're managing, just the general severity of everything going on is so hard to process isn't it it can be really unsettling Um, and it's the unpredictability of it as well that I think people are really suffering with we're completely out of routine Mm. and we don't know when we're going to get our normal lives back and that's really tough for people yeah yeah one thing I'd really like to ask you Sophie out of interest I know that you have specialized in um, colorectal work what would you advise for anyone who is really in need of taking great care of their general colon health what would you I know you're interested in in the nutrition side of things what would you recommend that people do it depends it depends if they've got a medical condition and that's Mm. why they're interested Mm. whether they just want to make sure so we make sure that their health their gut health is is as good as possible so in terms of your colon that's the main site of your microbiome in your body so there's trillions and trillions of bacteria living in there that are doing lots of different important jobs all the time And the main thing to make sure that they're healthy is to eat plenty of plant fiber. The other thing that we're learning more and more about is the role of processed meat in development of conditions like colorectal cancers, 
And we do know that excess processed meat intake does have a big impact on our risk of colon cancer. So this is sausages and bacon and that sort of, uh, those types of products. Yeah, exactly that. And ham and these kinds of things that Mm. sneak into our diet, bacon, that sort of thing. So we know that cutting down on those really really helpful red meat is also consumption is also predictive of colorectal cancer risk so it depends on which conditions you're worried about in particular you know we also need to be very careful to avoid constipation that can cause us all kinds of different problems so making sure you're getting plenty of fiber eating loads and loads of vegetables Mm. and lots of fruit every day lots of whole grains lots of nuts and seeds and all these things that we know are good really it's no magic advice but perhaps also if you are particularly worried about your colon health, maybe you've got relatives, you've got problems and that sort of thing. Do be careful with those processed meats as well. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you, you, Sophie. Well, let's go on to something we like to ask all our guests. We are all hoping and well, yeah, I'd say pretty certain that at some point this will end. We don't know what end means or what it will look like. But let's assume there is an end. What are you looking forward to? What three things are you looking forward to when this is all over? So I'm really, really looking forward to going back. I'm a massive foodie and I'm really missing kind of restaurant culture and going out and exploring those new restaurants or restaurants that I love. So really looking forward to getting back into restaurants with friends and my family and enjoying those special foods that at the moment we're kind of off the menu with. I am really looking forward to seeing my niece. She's two and I'm FaceTiming her most days just to catch up with what she's up to. So I'm really missing her. I'm really looking forward to seeing her and my other friends have got babies as well. So getting back involved with them and seeing how they've grown. And do you know what? With this weather, I'm very much looking forward to going and drinking rosé with my friends by the Thames and looking out on the water because I really miss that when the sun's shining. I think we're all with you there. That's a a good and very reasonable list and hopefully not too far off. We'll end the recording there. So at this point, we'd just like to say thank you so much, Sophie. It's been really interesting, really valuable. I think people will get a lot from it. Great. And thank you for your time. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And now let's meet our final guest of the week, Miles Hopper. Miles Hopper is co-founder and director of Mindful Chef. Mindful Chef is a health-focused food box delivery service which prepares and delivers ingredients and recipes for meals to make at home. Their focus is on nutritional meals using high-welfare natural ingredients. Miles co-founded Mindful Chef with two friends and together they have successfully crowdfunded millions to develop the brand. The range has expanded to offer ready meals, smoothies, and now a brand new care box in response to the crisis. Miles Hopper, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Hey guys, thanks very much for having me. Miles, I guess you're pretty busy these days. What's happening? I I saw an article the other day, actually, you were referred to as an emergency service or a vital service. And I guess as somebody who's delivering food directly to people's doors, this is a super interesting time for you. What's going on at Mindful Chef? Yeah, I mean, we always just saw ourselves sort of solving the pain point of just making healthy eating easy. You know, that's why we created Mindful Chef. But right now with sort of the crisis and everything that's unfolded, you know, it's been very much about just making sure people can actually buy food and get it sent straight to their door. I think that's been the biggest change. You know, it's not just people who are actively looking for a healthier way to eat. Actually now I've just seen lots of people come to the service because they couldn't get to their local shops or, you know, they couldn't get any online delivery. We were one of the sort of only services who kept our 
our delivery service open and we we're actively saying we'll take on new, new customers just to try and make sure everyone could eat because if you're like me i'd go to my local shop and the shelves would be absolutely empty so for me having mindful chef was just an absolute godsend and isn't it interesting that there's a lot of stories in the press about how eating whole foods eating well looking after yourself and not eating processed food that's all super important they think in particular in fighting the virus and coincidentally you can't get go to mcdonald's but you can get a mindful chef delivery it kind of seems to almost be serendipitous that it's fallen that way has that occurred to you yeah i mean i think we're in a very fortunate position where you know a lot of companies have had to either stop or shut up shop for a little while and you know yes as you say being a healthy food service just lends itself exceptionally well to a time like this when people are worried about getting ill or getting sick and they do want to eat a bit healthier so mindful chef just plays right into that so you're delivering the healthy stuff to them and also helping them learn how to cook it so i think that's fantastic and yeah you're right in terms of i sell our hummus products into retail and the supermarkets have found it difficult and the factories and everybody in in the food production industry to cope with demand and certainly those spikes in demand at the very beginning were challenging across the board and people were working really hard but I know that there's there's resource issues there's staff shortages so how come Mindful Chef is still taking on new customers yay so if you want to sign up to Mindful Chef you can because you guys are still you know wanting to serve as many people as you can how are you able to do that with the current sort of resourcing situation? Yeah you're right it certainly hasn't been easy especially you know we're getting national shortages of things like chicken breasts and people were just stockpiling all sorts of food and we do have a forecasting model so we do work with our suppliers from a long time out but obviously sometimes some of the small ones they might be supplying other businesses as well so they start struggling a little bit and I suppose we were in a very fortunate position that we'd already started planning for you know dual suppliers or whatever that might be just trying to actually safeguard against anything in the future anyway if we did have a big influx of customers for whatever reason so we had started planning this but not to the degree that you know was necessary for what's happened with coronavirus but you know that's true startup entrepreneurial fashion I guess is you know you've got to take advantage of which sounds bad but take advantage from a business point of view of these sorts of situations if they come and and it's just a lot of scrambling really you know the team had that mentality of let's all work together it was for a bigger sort of cause you know as i said it's we wanted to make sure people could still eat so the team were doing everything they could to make sure we could actually get food into our warehouses and get it sent out to customers' doors as soon as possible. You're right. There is a normal level of good business practice and contingency planning, but nobody expected this. <laughs> <laughs> well, not until much more recently. So you, you find that you have no issues with staffing in your warehouses. You're able to fill those roles. Staffing in the warehouse has been absolutely fine. We have had to take on new staff, especially in the operations side, the warehouse side, and then with our customer service team. You know, both of those teams have almost doubled overnight, which in itself brings a lot of sleepless, restless nights while you're trying to onboard new staff and make sure, you know, they feel engaged with the team and business and everything as they come on quickly. But they've done an amazing job. The whole team's done a great job. And actually, staffing hasn't been the big issue you know we've got lots of safeguarding practices in place at the warehouse all of our head office you know about 
60 people are working from home, you doing things just like this every single day, everyone's on virtual calls. So it's actually working relatively well at the moment. Well, it's great. And it's great that you have an agile business that has been able to respond. So enough on the business stuff. I'll hand over to Charlotte to ask you what people are cooking and eating and how Mindful Chef is helping on on the foodie side. Over to you, Charlotte. Yeah. So what are your best sellers at the moment? I imagine your care package is is doing very well. Can you tell us a bit about that? Because that's a completely new product, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So the care package, so it's kind of stemmed from we offered a 30% off for all NHS staff weeks ago, which has seen thousands of guys come on board, which is great and a nice thing for us to be able to be a part of. And then we had lots of customers just getting in touch saying, you know, I want to send a box to my parents, grandparents, my daughter, whoever it might be. And, and it's, as a subscription service, it's a little difficult just to do that. So we wanted to enable another sort of system where people could just buy a single box, send it out to a loved one or somebody they knew and cared about. And so henceforth, overnight in that startup fashion again, we thought let's create this care box, which nobody else is doing. And the really exciting thing about it is nobody else recipe boxes have managed to create a next day delivery. You always have to have a couple of days due to forecasting and suppliers and things like that. And we've managed to develop it in such a way that actually if you order before 7 p.m., you can get it out the next day. So if you do know somebody who is vulnerable, you want to look after, and they might have told you over the phone, oh, I couldn't get to the shop today or there was just nothing there. Actually, if it's before 7 p.m., you could quickly go online, go to a Marvel Chef store, buy a care package, send it out to them and know that actually they'll be able to eat and cook some really tasty, healthy meals the next sort of couple of nights or whatever it might be. That's amazing because that's actually been one of the big concerns I've certainly noticed anecdotally speaking to people about the current situation is that people are worried about how they can help people who may be not able to get out or access services. I mean, I've found this with my own family trying to keep them at home and avoiding going out, but then a lot of businesses are only offering their delivery service for existing customers. And it's so difficult, isn't it? And then supermarkets are doing their basic boxes, but then they've got these enormous online queues or, you know, just not accessing vulnerable people. So that's so brilliant to hear. What have you noticed in terms of your, the experiences from your suppliers? I mean, I use, for example, a farm in Devon supplies my meat and they've had people, you know, customers ringing up ordering 10 chickens at a time and things, you know, when they wouldn't normally. Yeah, they, all of our suppliers have been stretched, I would say, due to that exact issue. Some of them might have smaller local businesses where they sell online but it's only ever 10 or 15 orders a day maybe and then suddenly like you say everyone starts ordering 10 chickens and you know demand goes through the roof but I suppose that stems from having a good relationship with our suppliers you know but there is a very the whole point behind Mindful Chef is having that personable feel and that transparency and communication with our suppliers so they want to ensure they can supply us and and so as I said earlier as well we had that dual supply that we started looking at Mm. beforehand so it we were actually covered quite well. So you have that close relationship with your suppliers I understand you visit them all regularly and work together. The best part of the job actually is um, field trip. (laughs) Exactly when you get to go and visit the farms whether it be you know, farms up in Yorkshire, back down in Devon, been out on the little Cornish Badger, which is uh, the seaweed company's little rib that they take you out on, you harvest seaweed. So, you know, those are sort of, those are the nice things to be able to do and get to know 
the actual people who are growing, rearing, selling you all this amazing product and actually building that story for customers to be able to see and relate to rather than, you know, just looking at food on a shelf that they have no emotional interaction with whatsoever. So what sort of food are people cooking from your boxes at the moment? Tell us some of the delicious recipes that are really winning people over. What are the big, big favourites? So obviously they change every single week. 16 recipes, six are vegan, plant-based, and then the other 10 are meat and fish. And I suppose the, the favourites really are always, there's always a chicken dish. So I think this week we've got um, an Asian shredded chicken, peanut noodle sort of salad thing, which has gone down really well. Beef's always relatively popular. So we've got beef koftas on the menu. I had that last night, delicious. And then generally what we've seen over the last sort of two years or so since we offered this plant-based menu is um, you're a big transition from people just solely ordering the meat and fish. And they've actually started incorporating one or two vegan recipes every single week. So, you know, whether that's a Sri Lankan jackfruit curry or, you know, tofu peanut noodle salad, like the chicken version, you know, that's what people tend to eat. And at the moment, what I'd say is that Darlet's point of view about keeping her family in and spending more time with them is, is you see people have more time to cook and they're actually, we're all looking for things to do at home as we get a little bit, you know, cabin fever. And actually, I think one of the great things about it is you're hearing more and more stories of people cooking and cooking with their family and teaching their children how to cook or, or whatever it may be. So that's really exciting as well. Yeah, it's such an interesting time I suppose for the brand because people have got more time to cook at home but the shopping's the issue and that's where it all comes together quite nicely for what you do doesn't it what were you planning next for the business is that all out the window focusing on getting through the current situation or are you still trying to work on the next plans we do quite a lot at my like we're not just a traditional recipe box you know we also have we have our frozen range as well which have gone down exceptionally well in this period as I'm sure you can these imagine. are your ready meals these are yeah frozen ready meals so they use exactly the same suppliers you know probably the only people to use free range chicken in frozen meals and we have about 20 of those at the moment online and then we also have frozen smoothies so people just get these orders in bulk and they put them in the freezer and it becomes their sort of emergency supply. So we're kind of curating on that. We're changing that around, creating more. And then on the main recipe sort of side, the recipe box, we've actually just launched a couple of months ago a new family range. So this is all sort of good. Two families brought in a new chef. It's fantastic. The recipes are amazing. And really what we're going to do is just add a bit more variety to that menu, you know, increase the number of recipes. It sounds really simple, but then when you say to people, we have about a million ingredients going through the warehouse each week. As you can imagine, packing all of those into bags and boxes, it's actually quite complicated. So adding a couple of more recipes to a menu just adds quite a bit. I think that's a really interesting consideration that most people wouldn't have thought about in relation to your business yeah i feel like i'm shopping for a million ingredients every time i go to the supermarket these days but you actually are going through a million (laughs) ingredients so miles on the personal side what is your day-to-day life like i think you're quite a fit and active guy you've got a young child is that right what is life like at home running a really busy business and living through lockdown yeah, I mean, chasing around after a two and a half year old is fitness enough in itself, I think. <laughs> no, you're right. We, all three of us who started Mind for Chef, we're all interested in health and wellness. That's the whole reason we started it. And, you know, I'm very lucky at the moment that the weather's been pretty nice to us all and pretty kind. So it's quite easy to get outside and go for a run or a walk or whatever it may, may be. 
each morning we're on a call at about 8am, the senior leadership team, about six of us, just planning the day, you know, whether it be ops, customer service, marketing, whatever it might be. And then I work through until lunchtime, catching up with the rest of the team, and then I'll actually probably catch up. And then I'll have lunch with my daughter and my wife, generally outside if things good. And then um, it's a few more calls and meetings in the afternoon before the evening where I'll try and get out for a run or something, do some sort of fitness just to clear my head before it's back for um, bath time and story time with the little one. And then I get to cook up some Mindful Chef. <laughs> Lovely. And does it feel like Groundhog Day? I know it does to me, certainly on a weekday. Feels like every day is very similar. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's moving at about a thousand miles per hour at the moment. You know, as we're trying to offer new, like Charlotte was saying, the care boxes, whatever new thing we come up with, and just taking on new customers. So it is going pretty quickly. I do appreciate your comments, Julie, about Groundhog Day a little bit, and it does feel sometimes that it is kind of the same. But I suppose I'm quite lucky in that. The sense of being a startup or trying to do a million and one different things, there's always something new that pops up every single day <laughs> to challenge your your mind pretty quickly. Yeah, I hear you. I think it definitely keeps you interested. We've done a lot of pivoting and new stuff and, as you say, looking at what's happening and finding things that fit. So we're looking at launching bigger pots because people shop for more items less frequently. So we're thinking of doing, you know, a double size hummus pot as a family pack. It's that kind of thinking. And as you say, being an agile startup, it does definitely keep your mind busy and you feel like you might not be zooming around, you know, meetings in London and what have you, like I normally would, and you probably would too, but you are definitely still on your toes mentally. And I think in that sense, we're very lucky. That definitely helps bring some normality to what could be a very groundhog day time in people's lives well listen i know you're super busy thank you for your time we'd love to hear what three things you're looking forward to at the most when this is all over in whatever shape that looks like hit us with the top three things you can't wait to do one is going to the beach straight away <laughs> going to the water second is going out to eat quite like to go somewhere and actually eat out and have somebody else cook just for a change <laughs> i don't i like cooking but for a change you know yeah. and then um the third is probably actually just catching up with the team being able to get everyone under one roof again and get everyone involved in the same thing and chatting to face to face will be quite nice after all of this is is done with that's a very good list of three things and we'll we'll have to talk separately about getting our, our hummus and you guys hooked up. We need to get our hummus out to more people and you guys are doing an amazing job. Absolutely hats off to you. I'm sure you're working super hard and great job. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. That was great. And how brilliant to see a business working so hard to meet demand in these challenging times. So Jules, what industry news have you got for us this week? Yes, very impressive, Miles. So this week, I've heard that M&S are going to open 49 of their cafes to serve hot drinks only. The 49 have been chosen because they're next to food halls so that customers can grab a coffee to drink while they shop, said M&S. The takeaway hot drinks are all they'll serve, so no food. Social distancing measures have been put in place, including Perspex screens at Tills, which I've actually seen in Sainsbury's at my local supermarket. They'll have only one member of staff on hand to make the drinks and take payment and floor markings and signage will be in place encouraging shoppers to stay two meters apart. Another piece of interesting news I thought it would be helpful to share is that Tesco have launched a new electronic gift card to help the elderly, vulnerable and self-isolating. 
This will help these customers allow others to pay for and collect their food during the crisis. It said customers unable to get to the shops themselves could buy the new volunteer e-gift card ranging from five to £150. The cards can be emailed directly to friends, family or volunteers to purchase essential groceries in Tesco stores on their behalf. Thanks, Jules. Great insights as always. So on to our listener questions for this week. What do people want to know? Well, I think I can take a guess why somebody is asking the first question. It's very pandemic related. Charlotte, how can you tell if food is safe to eat when out of date? Now, actually, this is something that I was asked. I was on BBC Radio Devon at the beginning of this week, and it was something that I was asked. I have a view on chilled food being a little bit, well, a lot more dodgy to eat out of date, but ambient food, store covered things, not so bad. What do you think, Charlotte? Yeah, well, I would totally agree with that. And in terms of dried goods, ambient goods, so anything that can be stored at room temperature, you generally have a little bit more flexibility on that. Do use your judgment wherever possible. Now, there are always some checks that you can do. And I think this goes back to just good old fashioned skills. So smell it, taste it, just look at it. Look for any signs of spoilage. Does it smell right? Does it taste all right? Does it look okay? Those tests will generally be really reliable. So use your senses. So as I said, with dried goods, you're generally okay to extend the life a little bit further. Do make sure, for example, though, that you check flour for weevils, for example. It does get them. So you can notice those in a bag of flour that's a bit old, but otherwise you're broadly okay. In terms of fresh ingredients, you obviously need to be a lot more careful. You can generally have a little bit more flexibility if you use your skills to observe and check if food is okay. Something like cheeses, for example, yogurt is often okay a day or two after the date, especially if it's been unopened. Opening things really does cause them to spoil quite quickly. And also what you may not know is if you cook food that is at the end of its date, you extend its life by a further five days. So that applies to fresh meat, for example. So say you had some chicken in the fridge that was going out of date. If you cooked it, you roasted it, you would then get a further five days. So that's a nice tip. If you notice something in the fridge that's, you know, getting towards the end of its life, cook it and then you've got it a little bit longer. That is an amazingly useful tip. I did not know that. Another five days. Wow, that is brilliant because that's something that always feels really wasteful, um, especially something expensive like meat. So if you cook it, you can get more life. That's brilliant. And you've just reminded me in the food industry, in the manufacturing industry, we call the sensory testing that you're talking about organoleptic testing. Mm. And that is a really good way, just using our own human instincts to test whether or not something's off. But I would say specifically hummus if it's gone over its life, it really is not safe to eat something that's out of date. So do exercise caution, I would warn. Absolutely. So the next question is, can I use something instead of buttermilk? Now, this is something I have wanted to note myself previously. So buttermilk seemed to be, when I was a child in the 70s, you could just buy it in the village shop. These days, it's it's a slightly more specialised ingredient and definitely not something I would have in my fridge necessarily. In fact, I wouldn't. But quite often in a baking recipe, they'll say you need buttermilk. So what would you do there, Charlotte? Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because I see buttermilk as an ingredient more and more in lots of recipes. And it's not been something I've been able to buy very easily. I am seeing it more and more. However, it's really easy to make your own. What you can do is you can just take fresh milk, 
This also works with a non-dairy milk, such as a soya milk for a baking recipe as well, which is a good tip. But I tend to cook with standard cow's milk. So I will take milk, roughly 300 milliliters, and then you can turn it into buttermilk by adding an acid to it. So that might be a tablespoon of lemon juice or even a tablespoon of plain vinegar. And leave it, add the acid, the lemon juice or the vinegar to the milk, leave it for five minutes and you will notice it will thicken and that can be used in place of buttermilk in a recipe. So that's a really good tip to know, very easy to do. And I wonder if that's an American thing that's coming into our recipes, the buttermilk thing, but that's a brilliant easy way to substitute with something that you definitely would have in the house. So that's great. Thank you. And finally, I think you may have had a a fridge issue yourself this week, Charlotte. This might be a, a question that's close to home. What foods should you and should you not keep in the fridge? Oh yes, fridge breakdown at all times, you know, not for it to happen. This is one of the worst. Anyway, this is really interesting. There are a lot of sauces and jars and things that really frankly don't need to be kept in the fridge. What I would say is anything that has not been opened definitely does not need to be kept in the fridge. But some sources benefit from being kept in the fridge to prevent spoilage once they have been opened. So you can use your judgment as to what needs to be kept in the fridge. But I know that a lot of us are short on space at the moment. Some things that a lot of people keep in the fridge that really don't need to be kept in the fridge are bread, for example. Bread will dry out if it's kept in the fridge. So really just don't do that. Keep it even if you don't have a bread bin or something, keep it in a sealed bag outside the fridge. Lots of people keep things like garlic and onions in the fridge. They go a bit soft quite quickly. So keep them in a dark place. So I put them in a bag in a cupboard so that they don't sprout when they're in contact with the light. They don't need to go in the fridge. Tomatoes, another one. Tomatoes really, really do not benefit from being chilled. Always keep them at room temperature. I like to keep mine on the windowsill. Somehow I feel as though they'll slightly further ripen when they're on the vine, but they really lose their flavor when they're in the fridge as well. One final thing, eggs. Now I know every fridge has a section to keep your eggs in, but they don't need to be kept in the fridge. And I think at the moment we're all struggling because we have to shop less often and we've all got a lot more food we need to keep for more people in the fridge than usual so there are a few things that you can do to keep your fridge space as free as possible so that helps with the fridge management that we talked about last week that's seeing leading to a decline in food waste in the uk because people are managing their fridges better well very quickly i was having this conversation with my 12 year old son this week about jam and whether or not jam should live in the fridge. So for me, the clue is in the name preserve, which is the other name for jam. You don't need to keep your jam in the fridge, do you, Charlotte? No, absolutely not. But this is it quite interesting because jam doesn't really need to be kept in the fridge because the sugar content is so high, it will be a natural preserve. However, we do see quite a lot of low sugar jams coming onto the market. And because their sugar content is so much lower, they do need to be kept in the fridge because they will go moldy. So unfortunately, that is the exception to the rule. But yes, I don't keep mine in the fridge. Oh, there we go. No low sugar jam in my house. But I knew you'd know the answer to the question. Thank you. So that was great. Thanks again to all of our fabulous guests and lovely listeners. Remember, we have a really useful website where you can find out which shops are open when and for whom, and also which lovely artisan food and drink suppliers are delivering to our homes. The website address is 
www.pandemic-pantry.co.uk. Thanks again, lovely listeners. We hope you enjoyed the show and we look forward to talking to you again next week. So we'd just like to finish by saying thanks for listening, folks. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question about food and drink during the pandemic, drop us an email. We're on hello at pandemic-pantry.co.uk. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram under Pandemic Pantry Podcast. And if you'd like to enter our weekly competition to win a case of delicious Moorish dips or one of our other great giveaways, just head to our website and look in the competition section. The website address once more is www.pandemic-pantry.co.uk and we'll see you next week.